Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Took a little pause before the nine at Deep Space Nine. <laughs> you forgot which which Deep Space we were talking about. I like I like to insert a little pregnancy into my pauses. All of like, the great Deep Spaces. Yeah, Adam. One thing that we talk about often when we get together IRL, when we're on tour or just visiting with each other or whatever, is uh, what a refresher it can be after sometimes weeks apart to be with somebody that is as interested in doing bits on the other <laughs> <laughs> as uh, as you and I are. Because, you know, we... Uh, we go through life interacting with people in a professional context, sometimes with our wives, sometimes with other friends that don't want us to just try bits at them nonstop. It's tough when you do bit when it is not appropriate to do bit. Yeah. And so I I don't know if this is like a recurring segment or just uh, something to talk <laughs> about today, but... We should do it. The, with the, a drop uh, and everything. Yeah, and it's basically when always doing bits goes bad. All I do is... Bits, bits, bits. No matter what. You're always doing... Bits, bits, bits. No matter what. You're always doing... Bits. 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 I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. The origin of... The phrase always doing bits, of course, <laughs> is a very painful memory for me that, you know, it dovetails nicely with the like sort of semi-embarrassed feeling that we sometimes talk about with regard mm-hmm. to publicly being a fan of Star Trek, uh, which is that after college, I, I had a, uh, a several circumstances aligned in my life that I found myself hanging out with stand-up comedians quite often Mm -hmm. and i was at a a house party with a bunch of stand-up comedians standing around in a circle with you know everybody with a beer in their hand and you know having a chat with a group of people and i guess like the structure of what i was saying to these people came across as as prepared material and so uh one of them you know from across the circle said ben you should be a stand-up you're always doing bits and (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think he was busting my chops in a nice way, but it uh, it was very embarrassing to me to have to have been called on the carpet in that way. Well, Hannibal Burris doesn't pull any punches. (laughs) Uh, He he may actually have been in that at that party. Uh, Like, no joke. That's the kind of like there are definitely people level that you were partying at. Wow. Well, the thing is, it didn't feel like a level at the time because nobody at this party was famous then. But some Mm. of the people that were at that party are now famous. Right. So I have a couple of examples of uh, times when I was doing bits like kind of in a knee jerk way that <laughs> that like so the first one is when we, we were just on tour in Canada. We had a great time in Canada. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that happens when you take a bunch of tour merch into Canada is that you have to declare it. So I wrote down on my customs declaration form that I had the tour merch with me. 
you did not have the tour merch with you. I had the tour merch with me. So I wrote it down on my form. And at a certain point in the going through, you know, the, the gauntlet of guys you have to show your passport to on the way out of the airport, I got sent right and you got sent left and I had to go uh, explain why I ticked that box on the on the thing. Right. And I was assuming that they were going to toss my suitcase and look at everything and ask me a bunch of probing questions. I've seen I've seen your Canadian Border Guards reality show before. Sure. But uh, the guy just asked me like what what we were doing, one of the most uh, high stakes scenarios in which I'm asked to explain why <laughs> what what the hell is going on and and it's like I have a Star Trek podcast we are playing a couple of live shows I have some posters challenge coins etc in and amongst my luggage and uh it was very nice about it nicer than he needed to be and he said uh this is sort of at each border guard's discretion Technically, we can charge you some duty for the merchandise you're bringing into our country, but I'm not going to charge you that today. And every fiber of my being was devoted to preventing me from saying, thanks for not being a duty head. All I do is bits, 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 as I left the customs area. (laughs) And I fortunately managed to resist the urge. You should have rightfully been arrested had you said something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Comedy prison is where they should have sent you. (laughs) Well, so here's one where I actually committed the crime and should have been sent to comedy prison. Um, There's a uh, hamburger sandwich chain that is uh, taking the United States by storm called Shake Shack. And uh, there's one not terribly far from the therapist's office that I was going to downtown. And I I just kind of made my, I would build my day around getting Shake Shack and then going to therapy. Hard to tell which is more helpful, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I was putting in my order and the order was like a double Shack burger. So a, a two patty cheeseburger, French fries and a strawberry milkshake. And she asked the uh, the lady uh, working the till asked me if I wanted whipped cream on my milkshake, and I said, "No, I'm trying to watch my figure." All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. And as the words were exiting my mouth, I I was like, "I am such a bozo!" Like, how many times a day does somebody do this bit on her? And yet, Adam. <laughs> She doubled over with laughter. She did full bend at the waist, like back away from the register because her head would have hit it. Laugh, laugh at that. Like I got such a big pop for that joke. And undeservedly also, that's great customer service by, by the Shake Shack <laughs> I know. counter person. I know. You, I, you did not deserve that. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it's like, like when I was a... Uh, a back waiter at a restaurant, I would occasionally uh, ask people if they wanted me to box up their leftovers when I found a table full of people that had cleaned their plates. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. I didn't realize at the time what a hack I was. <laughs> do you want some help with that, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I realized later, I, I, I feel like I've grown somewhat, but... Uh, but apparently not enough. So I don't know. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any recent examples of times where wanting to always do bits kind of backfired for you? Actually, this just happened a couple of hours ago. I I told you 
this off mic, but I went to go turn in my badge and my laptop and my camera and a bunch of other stuff to the place where I worked for the last five years, having uh, had my contract not renewed. And so uh, I made the call. Like They were like, hey, whenever you're in town, come drop it off, because that's, I guess, the level of seriousness they're treating the idea of me <laughs> having a corporate badge and a bunch of their material. They're like, yeah, I mean, whenever you're nearby, go ahead and drop in. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like... <laughs> But anyway, I give him a call and I'm like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm actually down here. We had just wrapped recording another hit episode of the Friendly Fire podcast. Yeah. And I, uh, I rolled up and I'm in the parking lot and I've got the camera bag and, and all the stuff laid out outside of my car. <laughs> the coworker comes up and he's like, hey, uh, I, we've got some, some hard drives of yours. So there's like the awkward exchange of things after a breakup. <laughs> And I go, yeah, I was really happy to have pulled up to the workplace and not seen like all of my clothes thrown out the top story window into the yard here. (laughs) And he looks at me like, what? All I do is bits, bits, bits. And I was like, yeah, I I thought about like holding a boombox over my head and (laughs) playing you a Peter Gabriel song to take me back. All I do is bits, bits, bits. And he, again, like two swings, two misses. And I'm like, all right, well, thanks for meeting me. Uh, <laughs> like, I, you feel like, and this is a currency that we exchange all the time on this show, the currency of, of reference. Right. And this is a man of a certain age who I feel like watched movies in the 80s. Yeah. He did not get these references at all to what I thought were pretty benign, like, breakup metaphors. Yeah. Jeez. He just, like... Great guy, like lovely guy, not the guy who chose not to renew my contract, but he was like, yeah, cool. Great working with you, man. Like you're going to be missed, like sturdy handshake. And that was it. And I totally left that situation feeling like you, like, yeah, like bit unwelcome. Yeah. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. And I think that the moral of the story basically is just that we're ruining each other for the rest of the world. Do you want to re-enter the warm embrace of our podcast? The place where it is safe to do bits? I like this new segment. I hope we keep doing it. I do too. Hard to agree. Well, Ben, uh, speaking of innocent bystanders, I think there are several in the season two episode of Deep Space Nine called Defiant. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Your major Kira, she is uh, having a, a rough day, a very stressful day. DS9 is uh, pushing its storage capacity, apparently, and there's just uh, she's she's really slammed. Like she's she's slammed at work. She's taken work on from Dax and uh, and now from Bashir. She's got to go down to the infirmary. And she kind of blows up at Bashir. You can't have a runabout. You cannot get your medical supplies. And I don't give a damn about the colonization schedule. And uh, he he turns around and medical big dogs her in a way that would uh, would really, you know, be satisfying for Dr. Crusher. Because Dr. Crusher was a, a past master of this move. Captain Picard, you are now relieved of duty. I judge you to be disabled and mentally incapacitated. While there is a chain of command, I have a special place within, but also slightly outside of it, where 
uh, I'm going to order you to chill the fuck out, and there's nobody that can t- override that. A hot milk toddy? You're kidding. I feel disappointed that our perfect future is riddled with instances of people overworking. I know. Yeah, what that's is that really about? true. So Kira is not in Starfleet, and Kira is in a sort of capitalist society, so maybe that's always a symptom of capitalism in the conjecture of your Star Trek writer's room. I do also feel that overwork can many times be self-motivated, like that that's just a personality type also. Sure. And yeah. I, it's plausible that Kira would be someone with that personality. Well, the prescription that Dr. Bashir prescribes Kira is that he takes her to Quark's and puts a series of objects in front of her, <laughs> one of which is a hollow sweet key, which based on the last episode is kind of an attack, right? <laughs> yeah, not good. Kind of a short memory there, Doc. Yeah. It's kind of the fun version of the wrench belt stick decision from Goodwill Hunting, right? <laughs> why the wrench? Because fuck him. That's why. It's drink, hollow sweet, gem stick, and gambling tokens. Uh, I w- what would you pick of those of those things? I mean, one of the things about me that disgusts you. Is, is is my enjoyment of gambling. So you know I'm taking those tokens. I'm not judgmental of other people liking gambling. I just don't like it. It's breathtaking how non-judgmental you are, actually. I, when You're so non-judgmental that I judge myself for you. <laughs> like, you were so cool about our time in Vegas. Like, I... Every time I went to gamble and then you, like, disappeared to go have your own good time, I was like, ah. Oh. Oh, I did bad. Like, we could have been spending time together. No. You, you had you had a great time in Vegas, and I also had a great time in Vegas. Good, great times. Yeah. What would you have picked? See, I think I would put Hollow Sweet as one of my things, and probably yeah. Blue Drink as the other. Sure. I, I like a blue drink, and <laughs> I would be very curious to try a Hollow Sweet at the very least. But Kira recently essentially had a Hollow Sweet-involved sexual assault experience and that is a totally fucked up thing for there to be in the cold open of the next episode yeah the proximity to that episode is is offensive really it's it's fucked up one thing that that seems to be on offer here that is not on the table is actually there's a fifth thing adam (laughs) it's next to the table ben and it's leaning up against the wall (laughs) Looks like you've got your evening all planned. <laughs> As it does. Hope you've got room for the unexpected. It is uh, one one Riker William T. from all appearances. I had a smile as big as Will Riker's, just seeing him. Just utter joy to see the man back on screen. Seriously, just uh, just fills the frame with his charisma and, you know, draws a line under something that we've talked about quite a bit which is meeting up with Kira Norris in a bar would be a very exciting thing for a uh, for a gentleman to do. Yeah, and yet, like, if there's one lady in a bar that is too much of a match for Will Riker, it is Kira. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is being Riker on hard mode. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was so much fun to me. Yeah. I just love Jonathan Frakes as a Riker. He's great. He's so fucking great. 
very plausible backstory here. He's uh he's going to Risa by way of DS9 and just dropping in. Did you did you hear that he built up three months of leave? When Dr. Crusher finally insisted that I take some of it, she nearly shoved me out of the airlock. <laughs> what are they gonna do on the D? <laughs> <laughs> What if the Borgs attack? Like, what then? (laughs) There's a fair amount of that thing that I've always wanted to feel, (laughs) which is like the idea of walking into a room and knowing that someone somewhere in that room is going, holy shit, that's Adam Pranica. (laughs) Like, several times in this episode, people are going, holy shit, that's Will Riker. The Will Riker. Yeah. And it made me think... Like, there's a scene early on where it's Commander Riker and Commander Sisko in the same room. Yeah, and they kind of drop the ranks, like, it's, uh, it's call me they, Ben, call me Will. They have to do that, right? Yeah. Because I think everyone in that room knows that is the William Riker, and while commanders may be equal, like, the commander of the D. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. They also have, like, big commander energy appears to be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Just based on this scene alone, like, they're they're having such a fun time just, like, chopping it up with each other, like, like, Cisco's tossing the ball back and forth in his hands, like, they're talking about getting getting big paydays (laughs) off Quark. You know where I think uh, Riker's getting some of his energy, Ben? It's the placement of his comm badge. Yeah. It looks a little lower than it was on TNG. He's He's got some Cal Hudson energy. <laughs> yeah. I guess when they went to the squared off uh, gold part of the comm badge, Riker proportionately knew you want to you put that like a, t- a tad bit lower than the oval-shaped comm badge. I mean, when uh, when Jay Frakes is in the Star Wagon, I think he probably popped in a couple VHS tapes of some DS9 to catch himself up. Maybe those are the Cal Hudson episodes. What are the other commanders visiting the station rocking? And, uh, and Cal Hudson is the answer to that question. Hey, you got to do your research. By reputation, everyone knows who Commander Riker is. Mm-hmm. He seems to know Major Kira. Yeah. At least by reputation. And 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 he has a rep too. Like like the conversation between Cisco and Riker is cut against Dax and Kira having yeah. essentially like mid work girl talk about the fact that Kira is a bit sprung off Riker. He's a warm, charming man. Dax is kinda of sprung on him too. He's uh, quite a double player. Yeah. And uh, and they're not not jealous of each other for that. One thing that struck me about this scene, though, is that Kira is just back at work. Like, did she just get an afternoon off? She was she was worked to the bone. Why does she only get one afternoon off? Yeah, that doesn't seem right. Seems fucked up. It seems like she's spending her off time kicking it with Will Riker. And yeah. I mean, for a variety of reasons, that sounds like as much of a of a fun time hang as anything that was put down on her table at Quarks, right? I think Riker's got the jump joystick beat. So after work, Kira is given given him the walk around. Like they bump into each other on the promenade, and he gets to uh, he gets to get the grand tour. And uh, he's particularly interested in the Defiant. And so they go down to the Defiant, and uh, this is 
a really fun little segment here, like the security to get onto the Defiant. Like one thing I talked about in a a recent episode is like, why aren't we seeing more Federation tech kind of grafted into the Cardassian architecture of the station? Right. And this happens. The airlock to get onto the Defiant has a very obviously like L-Cars enterprise looking uh, computer interface outside of it. And uh, that's the thing you need to convince you're the right person to get into the Defiant. And uh, and it's it's backed up by a George Primen Lieutenant Toast type who just has to stand guard there. Got a little security toast back there. Yeah. Well, uh, a little touch of toast. Will Riker, I mean, I'm going to call him Will until he's not anymore. Uh-huh. He's a character who is led around by his head a lot when he walks. Yeah. And so you almost lose the idea of his paranoia here because he does look around a little sketchily in the moments leading up to his boarding the Defiant that I think you would shrug off as like, that's just how Will Riker walks around and looks at things. <laughs> yeah, they don't tip their hand in this episode that much. The first thing that happens when they get on the Defiant is they bump into Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Under some computer panel wrenching on something, and he gets up and is like pretty happy to see the commander and gets the chilly dust off from Riker. It's so chilling, it's withering. Like, you never see this character do this to anyone that's not a mortal enemy. Yeah. And this plays with expectations really well, right? Because you're expecting a great reunion between two beloved TNG characters. Right. And you so do not get that. I was really surprised that this was never explained or expanded upon or paid off in any way. It feels like so deeply hurtful that O'Brien should have brought it up at some point later as something that happened. Yeah, like my reaction to one of these is definitely what O'Brien's reaction is, which is just like, ah, bye, you know, if I have a an awkward interaction or if somebody is like extremely mean or rude to me, I I almost never like come back over the top with more. <laughs> I I just kind of like shrink and disappear. But then the next thing I do is go complain about it to everybody I know, you know. Like, yeah. oh, he beat him at fucking poker one time and he he's made me his lifelong enemy? Are you kidding me? You know, like, whatever whatever the thing is. The idea that it would be a Thomas Riker strategy to, whenever confronted by a familiar, to either, like, play it as, okay, cool, great to see you, gotta go, like he does with Dax in right. Ops, or, like, go hard the other way, which is, I don't want to talk to you, you fucking asshole, the way he does with <laughs> with O'Brien. I feel like he's kind of running a script. Like, there's only a right. couple of ways that this could go if I'm made, and so I need to, like, end these conversations quickly so I'm not found out. Well, like, how perfect is it? Like, he, he the person he is impersonating can plausibly be claimed to have been drunk the last time you saw him every single time, you know? Yeah. Like, he tells Dax, like, oh, that night was such a blur. <laughs> yeah. It is great. Yeah. And because Tom Riker has access to ostensibly all of William Riker's logs and stuff, like, this is research that I feel like headcanon-wise could have been done. Like, he is utterly prepared for this impersonation. Yeah, like nothing that has happened so far makes us think this isn't Riker, even though 
like he big dugs Chief O'Brien in that in that awful way. Even it's, the moment that he phasers Kira, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> why like, did he do that? <laughs> all right, Will Riker. Like, you're Will Riker. You must have your reasons. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. Is this going to be an episode about how Kira is, like, actually bad and working yeah. for somebody bad? And Starfleet had to send somebody in to dispatch her with extreme prejudice? <laughs> That's what seven seasons of credibility does for you. Like, you're on Riker's side. And they yeah. fucking manipulate you with that in a yeah. great way. Only when the Maquis beam over do we realize that something bad is happening. And, uh, and he blows in a call to Ops and says, like, oh, there's a bad, uh, some, some kind of bad engine thing happening on the Defiant. I'm going to get her away from the station so she doesn't take the habitat ring out. And uh, you can thank me later. <laughs> and um, they've stage directed this a little bit. They've got something steaming it up in the background of his FaceTime shot. And uh, the second the Defiant is pulled away from the station, it's like shields up and goes to warp. So they are not able to beam anybody off of it. And it's uh, Riker and a couple of Maquis with an unconscious Kira and the most bristling with weapons ship in the sector heading away at high warp. It's the beginning of one of my favorite storylines. The idea that a ship could be stolen yeah, and driven away is I mean, so fun. And like the next thing that happens is that meeting with Dukat where it's, you know, it's just like the Russian ambassador meeting with the secretary of state in Red October going like, don't you see like how inherently dangerous it is to have Starfleet and the Cardassians and the Maquis and the Defiant out there just like rubbing, rubbing paint, you know? That Hunt for Red October comparison is so perfect, Ben. It, it's like Hunt for Red October if Ramius was actually out to start the war, right? Right. Yeah, it's not, it's not a direct comparison, but a lot of the premises are similar. I mean, it remains to be seen if uh, the Cardassians take a dump without a plan. <laughs> This scene is interesting because this is the second time in a row that Dukat's come to DS9 and just gotten his junk kicked in. Like, <laughs> this is, he's not on a good streak here. Because uh, what Cisco lays on him is that, like, the, the ship has been stolen. That's a big problem. And this could be a war-making conflict. The Cardassians are so... Uh, they have so much guile. Everything about ascending to a high rank in Cardassia is about, uh, you know, performing this fealty to the state, but also Mm -hmm. working very much toward your own ends. And it has this interesting effect that they never believe Starfleet people when they're just like, hey, there is a big problem. Here are all of the factors about the problem that we currently know we would like to solve it with you. We would like to work together to solve it. They're like, what's your angle? What's, what are you working toward? Like, how are you, how is this a trick against me? It's really fun. Like, I I like that that's always a problem that they go through. And like, there's just like no bridging that divide because it's like a difference of culture, you know? Right, right. It's a really great scene and it's one of the crucial scenes. And it's strange that Will, Will or Tom Riker is not in it. Because Ducat's making the case that 
you know, no one is going to believe this story. It's super far-fetched. Like, it's it's fucking hilarious. You're telling me a transporter accident made another Riker, and then, like, that's who's commanding this ship? <laughs> Fuck you. But Cisco is like, you know what? If collateral is what you need, like, take me. Take me with you to Cardassia Prime, and we'll work this out in your war room. And Dukat's like, you don't understand. Like, I want to destroy the ship. I don't want to, I like... I want to destroy. I do not want to take and study. It's sort of like a Ripley and Aliens right. scenario. And uh, they're, they're on opposing sides of that argument, too. But Cisco feels like by virtue of his presence there, he could do something actionable and, and save the ship. I mean, Cisco's first goal is to prevent this snowballing into a situation that kills a bunch of colonists or provokes a war. Like if he can save the ship, that's cool. But mm-hmm. the the main goal is to not let whatever horrible thing the Maquis have planned actually go down, and uh, and to like to really like underline how horrible this is going to be. Uh, we get a shot of Riker peeling the sideburns of his beard off to reveal a really nasty mid nineties slash mirror universe goatee. <laughs> He reaches below the frame and pulls out just an astonishing amount of pubes. (laughs) (laughs) Tom Riker keeps it tight. I had to put these on just in case. I I had to wear this Merkin for full believability. You don't understand, man. I had to get it on. Kira is put in a really interesting position here because, like, her natural affinity is always going to be for fuck with the Cardassians. She is naturally politically aligned to your average Mayquis in a lot of ways. And Tom Riker appeals to her resistance fighter experience to sort of, like, get in with her, which I think is really shrewd. You were a resistance fighter. You know that certain times you do things that you're not proud of to accomplish the mission. She does not respond to it well you accomplished your mission so now what she has really come to a position of like there is a right and a wrong way to fight this fight and what you are doing is fucking wrong it's r-o-n-g kira is a nightmare as a hostage (laughs) you know yeah like tom Riker does not know with whom he is fucking at this point no yeah it it's it's really like akin to an us underestimating a Rolaren. And yeah. you would think well, I guess Tom Riker wouldn't have any he doesn't know from Rolaren. Only only Will Riker knows what that's about. I mean, if your job involved impersonating Will Riker, I suppose watching every episode of TNG would be part of his study, right? <laughs> I mean, we know that Will Riker is given to watching previous right. Previously on TNG reels, so, <laughs> so maybe that's one thing they have in common. Yeah, I mean they're the same. Everything is the same about them, right? Like epigenetically, they split five years ago, but otherwise they're identical. I mean, you can make a choice with your body here. Yeah, and Will Riker chooses to go full bush. Tom Riker, <laughs> Tom Riker's a clean-shaven man. It's, keeps that manscape high and tight. Just a 
quick and easy number one on the guard. <laughs> I mean, it's why when they wear a knuck-revealing garment, Will Riker always has quite a bit more volume in that department. It goes a little bit uncommented on, but I think it's fucking great that one of the Maquis that beams aboard is from the TNG Maquis episode. That's Kalita, the lady. Oh, the, is that is that who that is? Yeah, like she's back from that uh, Rolaren episode. I, she looked really familiar to me, but I didn't I didn't look it up. That's really awesome. Yeah, I mean the other guy Tamal is is like a first timer. But mm-hmm. it was cool to have that kind of continuity. I, I love a tamale. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had a good tamale. What? I feel like the corn is too thick, man. Like, it's too. Like there's too much of that. The meal. It's so mealy. Give me more of that stuffing. I don't think that there are that many good restaurant tamales. Like, tamales are really like a, a folk art. And properly like what you want to if you're buying a tamale out somewhere to eat you, you want to be buying it out of like an igloo cooler from <laughs> a lady that came into the bar that you're at yeah. and she's got some dope ass tamales that she made yeah because like the right way to make a tamale is like you get together with your family and like you make a grip of tamales yeah like and it's because it's a big like it's a huge process you know you got to make the masa and you got to like like it's it's like a I, I had a a friend of Mexican descent uh, from my childhood who uh, invited me over to his house at Christmas time a couple of times for the tamale making process and oh that sounds great yeah it's like everybody's sitting around a big table and you got your your corn husks and your bowl of masa and your and there's fillings and and it's like it's a it's a huge process everybody takes part like you wind up going home with 400 tamales and then the freezer is like packed with them for the rest of the year and wow that's like that's like properly done but I, I i i will tend to agree that like in a restaurant you're getting like a, a they're too big for one thing like they're huge yeah they're they're burrito sized yeah that's and not, they're not supposed to be right th- no they're supposed to be like smaller than a apple mouse you know, mm. like they're they're little guys and yeah. and they're good. I want to be tamale friends with someone. That's the best. You get invited over for it, and then yours yeah. is the kitchen that's not totally bombed out. At the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get to go home to a clean kitchen. It's like being a gentile that gets invited to a, a Passover seder. Like I get to go like experience your culture for a night, but also like this didn't impact me at all from a from a mess standpoint. That's great. Yeah. So the Defiance course is the Cardassian border, and that really heightens the tension. Cause warp, I mean, not nine, but let's say seven. Yeah. <laughs> Why warp seven? Why ever not nine? Why are they prescribing to the warp speed limit at this point? If you're a terrorist, you should observe no speed limit. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're like eco-terrorists, maybe. They're like, well, we can't, <laughs> we can't contribute to galactic global warming or whatever. I mean, I want to destroy the Cardassians, but I'm not a monster. <laughs> so there's a there's a big like war room set in Cardassia, and this is um, like a big room with a bunch of big screens, big board. There's an Obsidian Order lady there. Allow me to introduce Coronis, our observer from the Obsidian Order. She's kind of initially there to kind of lock it down from a operational security standpoint 
like Cisco being in the room means they need to keep their tactical readouts on a uh, on kind of a limited basis so that he doesn't oversee something he shouldn't oversee. She's got that obsidian order stink on her, which makes her someone that even Dukat kind of fears yeah. in an interesting way. Like when you've got Dukat obeying the orders of someone else, you know, I mean, you know, you're in rare air. Right. She also has kind of the uh, the kind of haircut that Scott Adams would draw on a character in Dilbert. I thought she looked a lot like Tina Fey to me. Oh, shit. Do you know who she is, Ben? Who is she? She is Trisha O'Neill. She played Captain Garrett in the Enterprise C episode. Whoa! You can see it now, can't you? Damn, yeah. She looks so familiar for me to me, I had to look it up. But yeah, it's her. It's her under the loaf. Oh, man. Uh, I'm just looking on the, uh, on the known for... On, on IMDb. Uh-huh. Airwolf, 1984. Yes. What was she, an airwolf? Have to ask Bill Tilly. <laughs> Great actor. I like her work here. This is one of the scenes of many, Ben, where we get the Pac-Manification of the conflict instead of seeing torpedoes and phasers and ship-to-ship combat, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean... I guess this set must cost a lot to build. And I guess like having a bunch of extras and and specifically paying Frakes to come in and reprise his role. This is probably an expensive episode to do. So I guess I can kind of see why you you cut back on the number of ship to ship combat shots. I was really upset by their absence. But I I thought about it a little bit longer, Ben, and I was thinking about if you've got 44 minutes to do an ep, it's not just cutting from the war room to the ship-to-ship combat. You need that transition, that intermediate scene right. between the war room and that shot, which means you got to go back to the Defiant, take your 10 to 20 seconds there, then we see the exterior conflict, and then we cut back to the Defiant, like... It takes a lot of time to do those sequences, and I wonder, it doesn't look like they have the effects in the bag anyway to do it, but I wonder if they if they cut for time that, that element of combat in order to keep the story moving. There is an efficiency in a three-second cut to blips yeah. on a screen, and there is a certain ratcheting of tension in that. I mean, they they do that in Red October, like, what's this... What's this ship over here off by mm-hmm. the Grand Banks, you know? Like what's this guy yeah. doing? And and that's exactly what they're doing here, right? They're looking they're looking at the big board, identifying ships and think saying like, Oh, we're pretty sure this is the Defiant and Cisco saying like the readouts are, are close, but they're not a dead ringer. I think that they're trying to fool you into thinking that that's the Defiant, while in fact the Defiant is somewhere else and uh, this is just happening to, to trick you guys. Cisco does so well in this scene that that Obsidian Order Carinus is like, oh, it's too bad we don't have anyone as competent as you around here, and like kind of looks askance at Ducat. Yeah. Like, one of the many ball shots that Ducat takes <laughs> in this episode. I only wish we had someone with such keen tactical instincts. They, why, did, why are they defanging him in this way? Like, does it feel good to to tear down the bad guy? 
I think it's that whatever happens to Ducat in this episode does not undercut his danger as a character going yeah. forward. He's not going to stop being a gull. Like, we just need to see this so we can understand that Karinas is is the big dog on the scene, yeah? It's, yeah, it's to establish her power, but it's also embarrassed Ducat is like so, like Marco Lemo knows how to play that so well. And we yeah. saw that a little bit in the in the uh, the station is on lockdown with the security protocol episode, like him, him getting caught with his pants down. And that, that episode was so <laughs> funny and awesome that yeah. it's like, wow. Like how can we write that into another thing? This scene is basically there to illustrate that what the, Mayquise are doing with the Defiant is extremely destructive to Cardassian material. Like two different outposts get destroyed. And also to illustrate that the Defiant is using the cloaking device that's on board. They don't need a Romulan to come plug a USB key into the system to, to get it to work. How about that? Yeah. Which I like, I love that that question was sort of posed to us. Mm-hmm. In a pre- in a previous episode, and it's not long after that they're following up on that. I also like that uh, that Kira is not comfortable just staying in her quarters like a like a kept person. Like she goes up to the replicator and starts crossing some wires. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. flings her sabot into the gears bin. Hence the word sabotage. This distraction that she creates in her quarters gives us. One of the great memories of TNG that you and I have are the many Riker squints to commercial. Mm-hmm. God damn it. They give him a couple of those in this app, like just for nostalgia's sake. Yeah. Like, I, I was really grateful that they did that. It was it was nice uh, to see the the banger gets dropped on the ship, and it's like I think I know I think I know what's going on. <laughs> Squint, fade to black. <laughs> Amazing. Just gold. Just the best. This yeah. is like batting practice to him. Yeah, he's fucking, he's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess whatever Kira did caused a fairly massive explosion in the room that they were keeping her in because she goes to a pretty torn up uniform look for the rest of the episode. She's got a lot of shoulder showing. For being proximate to an explosion, like she's not looking, her uniform took the brunt of it. Yeah. Strangely. <laughs> Yeah, I wondered, like, how, like, is there actually anything that could happen that would burn that much uniform away, but also leave the skin underneath basically perfectly intact? I don't know. Or did they, like, pl- spray one of those healing, you know, they point one of those healing beams at her. They put some head-on on it? <laughs> yeah, apply- applied directly to the <laughs> plasma burn. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of stalls the defiant in space while they uh, while they patch things up and um and we cut to the war room where Cisco is like why have they stopped like why are they not just marauding around killing every target of opportunity they can find and he's trying to puzzle through it and kind of gets distracted by Gal Dukat sitting there like bumming out about missing his son's 11th birthday and that's sad Cisco tries to really connect with Ducat in this moment and hugely misses the mark. At that age, they never understand, do they? Because he's trying to uh, 
build a bridge between them and say like, man, like we're two career driven dudes. Sometimes we miss those moments in our kids' lives and kids just don't understand. And Galdicott's like, no, he understands. He understands that humans are killing Cardassians and it will make him as racist as me eventually. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, asshole. Pretty dark. Yeah. How are you raising this kid, Gul Dukat? Jesus. I mean, if Dukat is supposed to be Star Trek Hitler, then why spend any time trying to humanize him? And why give Cisco an opportunity to, to like, form a bond with him? Why not just have him rant about vegetarian food and <laughs> move on from there? I love my characters being multifaceted and not being all the way good and all the way evil. But this trend of pussycatting Dukat, I can't get with it right now. <laughs> evil him up a little bit. I mean, he's pretty evil <laughs> saying he's raising his son to be a racist. And I think the scene is more about that thing we were talking about earlier where Cisco is always like coming from a perspective of like, I want to do the right thing and I want us to build together toward mutual understanding. And the Cardassians are like a thousand percent distrustful of that kind of talking a thousand percent of the time. Yeah. We also get a pretty interesting dialogue between Tom and Kira about what he is doing here. And Kira comes from a standpoint of, I used to be a terrorist. Like, Third thing on my resume is terrorist. First thing is, uh, used to wear my hair a little bit differently back then. <laughs> and you are, uh, you know, like three days into your new job as terrorist, and I have some thoughts. I don't think you're doing a great job. <laughs> she's uh, she's giving him the yearly uh, job review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Points where where you're doing well, and points where you could be improving. You know, needs improvement. Uh, like being an actual terrorist. You're a little soft. You're really not cut out for this, are you? You're not using the Defiant to kill every tar target of opportunity. You're not using it to destroy the most potential Cardassian material you can. And he's saying, like, no, no, like, the, w this is a mission. Like, we have a, a higher goal, a more, a you know, like, <laughs> we're, we're working uh, strategically here. Tom Riker's like, what do you know about chemtrails? <laughs> because I know where they're coming from, man. <laughs> you just don't get it. <laughs> like the look on Kira's face when Tom Riker lays this shit on, on her is like, what the fuck? <laughs> You're going to take this ship there on a hunch? It's a great moment. Like, the reason he is there with the Defiant and the information that the Maquis are working with is that there is an element of the uh, Cardassian system building an invasion fleet to take back everything that they ceded to the Federation in this peace treaty. Like, there's just as much dislike of the of the peace treaty on the Cardassian side as there is on the Federation side and they want to solve that problem and it's called the Orias system. Tom Riker hands Kira a book written by Cal Hudson mm -hmm. like called Dianetics or something. <laughs> <laughs> like I really think you'll appreciate some of the ideas in this book. It's changed my life. <laughs> like these are all Cal Hudson style arguments and yet there's no references to Cal Hudson. 
I wish there were more references to Cal Hudson. I Cal wish Hudson. Cal Hudson was in this episode. Yeah. That would have been You can't dope. have low badge against low badge on that bridge, though. Do you think Cal Hudson would have had, like, higher Maquis rank than Tom Riker? Because Tom Riker is a, is a lieutenant, right? He's yes. Not, he's not actually a commander. No. So, uh, so... Are those ranks transferable? Yeah, well, that's a question, right? Like, do the Maquis honor the, uh, like, what you have earned in your previous work experience? I would only want to be a Maquis if I was given a promotion in doing so. Like a lateral move minimum, but a promotion would be ideal. <laughs> sure. <you know? laughs> like, I, I'm down for the cause or whatever, but I don't want to give up my uh, my salary and benefits. <laughs> I mean, what are we really talking about here? <laughs> so yeah, like it, it's about this time that like this starts to seep seep out in the in the war room. Also, like Ducat is like, why are they headed to the Arias system? That's stupid. There's nothing there. And the Obsidian Order lady is like, that sector is under direct control of the Obsidian Order, and you will not enter it. You just let them go there if that's where they're going, and don't fucking. And, and don't try and cross me on this, because I'm pissed. It's another quarter in the ball-kicking machine for Ducat. <laughs> because he's like... Why? It's under the control of the Obsidian Order, Ben. Yeah, and she's like, he's trying to, he's trying to like pull rank and say, like, I have tactical command from the Central Command, and, like, the Central Command is the top thing. And she says, you know, do whatever you want, but, like, any ship you send to that system will be destroyed. And that's the Obsidian Order's final word on that. You really want to do this here, now? Okay, okay, let's do it, do it! Back on the Defiant, Kira is really manipulating Tom Riker, and part of her argument feels like it could be grounds for an intermediate episode that we don't get. Like, this idea that Tom Riker seeks to distinguish himself from Will Riker, has an axe to grind still, was a guy who was unhappy in his post-duplicate deployment. You know, after he was saved, they sent him to a ship, and I guess, like, they describe it really fun on the show. It's like... While he was there, he began to express certain political opinions. Opinions that supported the Maquis and their goals. I wish we got a Tom Riker bottle episode where, like, we could really figure out what's in his head because this idea that Kira, in her brief time with Tom, could see that, like, he's a man who does not, who resents the comparison and is willing to go on a suicide mission to distinguish himself fully from Will is, like, a super great call by Kira, but kind of an unearned bit of psychology. I think that the only thing that makes it work for me is... The extent to which Commander Riker in the episode where the existence of Tom Riker is revealed felt exactly the same way. Like every Mm -hmm. time they interact, it is Commander Riker seeing only the parts of himself that he dislikes in Tom Riker and railing against that. And to put yourself in the shoes of the guy that has to then go on living like with a lesser rank, doing less fun and cool shit all the time, uh, you know, and and just live in the shadow of the fucking first officer of the flagship for the rest of his life, despite, for all intents and purposes, being the same guy. I can see why he would have an axe to grind, and it would be pretty surprising if he didn't kind of resent 
Agreed. That character. Yeah. It's like being co-host on a show with the great Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> the beloved Benjamin R. Harrison. Oh, you're, Sometimes it's hard to just be Adam Pranica. You're describing how I feel, Adam. <laughs> and for that, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's uh, that comparing oneself to the other thing always happens. Tom Riker in this scene doesn't really have an answer for that. I feel like Kira challenges him ably, but he doesn't come down. Like, he does not admit it. He just sort of notes it. Yeah. So what it comes down to is it's a lot like the uh, Hunt for Red October where the uh, dogs are running the prey to the hunters. Yeah. And um, the fleet of, like, normal Cardassian military are chasing the Defiant, and a lot of ships are coming out of this secret star system where the secret invasion fleet is being developed. And we finally do get to see some, some ship-to-ship combat stuff. They, uh, they saved their budget for this big hmm. finale. It's some pretty heavy shit. There are five ships out there ahead of you, but there may be 50 waiting there for all we know. And Cisco basically does some horse trading with Ducat on how we can arrange for this to resolve in a peaceful way that doesn't result in everybody dying. And the idea basically is like the Defiant and the crew can go back to the Federation and, you know, the the Maquis will, will stand trial there, but Riker will have to be uh, turned over to the Cardassians. And that's the deal that they strike. Yeah, the idea that these sensor logs on Arias are, is, like, of a value that supersedes the ship. Right, like, the, like what is the... incredible. What the Defiant has discovered just by traveling to this star system is valuable enough to Dukat and the Central Command and, like, the non-Obsidian Order part of the Cardassian body politic, that that's as much a bargaining chip as anything else, like the lives, the ship, Kira, anything. Yeah, it's so major. As a viewer, you understand the value because... It's hard to believe anything could be more valuable than the capture and teardown of the Defiant. Right. And, like, if the Maquis got, like, they got some intelligence that there is an invasion force being built and there's kind of, they're taking kind of a long shot, like, let's steal the nastiest warship we can steal and head over there and just, like, do as much damage as we can. At a certain point, Cisco and Ducat get on FaceTime with Tom Riker and kind of break this deal to him and he's you know he thinks it over a little bit and and then accepts like i was kind of surprised that the rest of the makeways crew weren't like wait a second uh <laughs> we all kind of put our a lot on the line to come do this like this was kind of a suicide run for us so yeah. i think like cutting deals right now is not really what we're here to do yeah i mean they've spent the latter part of their careers avoiding a federation prison that they are now contractually obligated to go to now yeah. because of tom Riker's decision i think maybe the idea that like one of them would have just phasered him and just like continued the mission is probably like the realistic version of what yeah, would happen i feel like we've seen that in an episode before where you think you're out of the woods but there's someone who isn't on the same team yeah and they and they attempt to ruin it at the end kill something escape now that's convincing for both 
The other thing that I thought was a little sad about this uh, this last scene is like we're talking about like brand new, like fresh off the production line, Cardassian ships coming out of the Orias system, and like they're talking about them, right? They're going like like this. This is they're not Galore class. They're some other class, and they're like. These these are like moving faster than this class has ever moved. Like they are really kicking ass right now, and uh, they are just the exact same Cardassian ship model we've always seen. Which I think like I think if you're gonna say that they're a different class, you got to make a different model. Yeah, you know. But they did not. Yeah, and then you got the model. You can use it for a bunch of other shit in the future. You know. Yeah. It's not like the Cardassians are going anywhere. You think it's weird that the Cardassian ships look like the symbol for Cardassia in a way that no other alien race chooses to do? I do think that's a little weird. This idea of of what might or might not be going on in the Araya system is a question left medium answered, I guess. I mean, the, sh- <laughs> the ships sure prove that something strange is happening there, but we don't get to know for sure because the button on the episode is the Bridge of the Defiant where... Tom Riker makes Kira promise to give his Maquis crew a fair trial. <laughs> like, Kira's like, okay. <laughs> like, we kind of have a ton of proof that they helped you steal this ship <laughs> from many episodes. And then, uh, and then Kira says something really questionable and totally, again, like unregarded. She says, we're going to get you out of there before Tom Riker beams away. Like, what? Really? Was Tom Riker given the the whole, like, you know, you got to transport yourself over to the Cardassian ship and you're going to be put on trial and you're going to you're going to go to prison. But we're going to give you the Star Trek six treatment and yeah. like try to bust <laughs> you out later. She she does not take their make out uh, for an opportunity to put a, uh, a Viridian patch on his back. Boy, Tom Riker takes one for the road, huh? Yeah. Pretty great. He put goes and just lays one on her, like like lays one on her to the extent that when she goes and like plops herself down in the captain's seat, she is like <laughs> fully like smoking a cigarette. Like, was it good for you? <laughs> if it's anyone besides Jonathan Frakes and a Riker doing this, I feel like this would be fucked up. <laughs> but I think it's not. Because of the power of John Frakes's charisma and the cult of Riker personality, he gets away with it. And it's not gross or lurid or whatever. Like, I mean, I think it's also good that they established that she's like interested yeah. in him from that standpoint early on. They got to know each other. God, like such a plum. Like, he's so great. A lot of fun. Did you like the episode? I liked it a lot. I think uh, the the flaws are fairly well laid bare by our episode. By our good and noble work. Yeah, it's just a nice comfortable bathrobe to put on after a hot shower to see Jonathan Frakes <laughs> just fucking cutting it up, you know, like it's like old times, like breaking girls' hearts and fucking whooping Cardassian ass in this episode. Really fun. How about yourself, Adam? This is the first episode of Deep Space Nine so far that I feel like I could say I would rewatch over and over again in a way that I rewatch TNG. Wow. That's not to say that it's the best episode, because I think many of the episodes that you and I rewatch on TNG are, are not considered right. the best. But they are like that bathrobe you speak of, like so comfortable 
and fun and good that they're just irresistible. And this is one of those irresistible episodes. And I think it's the first one on DS9 that I've seen that I could say that about. Like, it is a little unfortunate that it's because of a character that does not belong there. (laughs) But I think that just speaks to how indomitable a Riker is in any episode and in any moment. He's just, whether it's Will or Tom... They're cut from the same rope, Ben. Yeah. They're amazing guys. Yeah. Good guys. Good guys, fun app. What do you say you lay one of those priority one messages on me, Ben? I'm getting my uh, my priority one message lips ready for you, buddy. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. What? It asks all viewers everywhere to join the greatest parents on Facebook. Whoa. The message goes like this. <laughs> Friends of DeSoto, do you share your uterus with an ankylosaur? <laughs> Quarters with a slickback? Your life with the boy? Or other small humans? If you answer queries like, where do babies come from, or lose sleep to cries for more gach, there is a community for you. For silly topics, red alerts, or distractions from your little warriors, beam over to The Greatest Parents, a Friends of DeSoto (laughs) Facebook group. Adam and Ben, for the kids, please have young Picard and Kevin Uxbridge explain where babies come from. (laughs) When When a captain loves a doctor very much... They hug and kiss. I, uh, I, I take the raw materials of the hooshnock, and then, uh, and then I, I squeeze them in my two hands in a bowl. Oh, God. And then presto, baby. <laughs> I could do this. I could do this whenever I want to. It's actually fairly simple. I want to see it now. No, 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 no. I don't think it should be a surprise to anyone that I'm not a. Big fan of kids. <laughs> My interests skew much older. <laughs> you know, Mini Picard. Yes. I could snap my fingers, and uh, and send you a, a long, long way from here. Could you snap your fingers and make the computer in the children's playroom access the engineering <laughs> section? You see, the thing about me is, I'm very bad at computers. <laughs> All old people are. <laughs> so yeah, join the greatest parents on Facebook, of course. Fam- even famously, Ben, you and I are not parents, so we would have no business going there. But if you have a little one or are thinking about it, uh, these these people are probably just as supportive friends of DeSoto in this regard as they are in any other. So I love the rich tapestry that is all of the different... Uh, groups of friends of DeSoto, like the, yeah. the self-organizing around LGBTQ and cooking and parenting. Like, it's so cool. It's pretty great. A, a group for every kind. I love it. Adam, our next Priority One message is of a personal nature. It is from Commander Oliver of the USS Caligari, and it is to Commander Graves of the USS Ardmore. I feel like... We've heard from the USS Caligari. Have we heard from the Ardmore before? Yeah, that is a name that's unfamiliar to me. 
It might be a new one. Adam, I think you're uh, probably going to feel best editing this if you uh, if you drop a beat right in here. Because this looks to be a bit of lyricism. This rap battle coming at you hard and fierce. My rhymes through your shields will pierce. I got a couple words to say to you spicily. Listen up so you hear me precisely. You're so nice, not just lyrically. Someone to look up to. I know this empirically. Too good at games, it must be an anomaly. You're the best friend. Not ironically. Oh. Fresh. Oh, look at you crossing your arms over there. Yeah. Nicely done. As I sit here in my b-boy stance with flip-flops and socks and sweatpants, I'm finna <laughs> enhance your priority one message. That's great. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Good to hear from Commander Oliver in the USS Caligari. Yeah. Uh, well, if you'd like to share your science with the friends of DeSoto, <laughs> you head over to uh, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks. They help us uh, create this show, and they help you get your message out there to tens of thousands of friends of DeSoto. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I so want to give Tom Riker, like, an honorary Shimoda. (laughs) In the same way that we, like, doubled up on Cal Hudson, like, to pad pad the statistics for him. But there is a moment in this ep that is so Shimoda-esque. Yeah. That it actually overpowers that feeling for me. It's a video Shimoda bin. Mm. If you scrub to approximately 37 minutes and 40 seconds, there's a scene in the war room that depicts an uncomfortable moment between Cisco and Dukat. Yeah. Where there's like a look and then a look away and then they look at each other and then Dukat <laughs> looks away. <laughs> it is a hilarious 10 seconds of only facial acting. Yeah. That I watched many times and got a kick out of every single time. I loved it. That is a lot of fun. So if it's not honorary Tom Riker, it's this. But I, if we're keeping score, I think I'd, I would have to choose this one. Unfortunately. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, mine is Cisco. It's a another scene in the war room, a little earlier than this. Like Cisco is is not necessarily like a rule follower, but he does have a, a real sense of justice in his head. And the idea uh, comes across that the Obsidian Order have kind of broken the rules in building a fleet. Like, they are not supposed to be building a fleet. They're not supposed to have ships at all. And at some point, like, the the fact that they are building ships becomes plain. And Cisco is outraged. As though he has a stake in, like, the fucking way the Cardassians run their own government. Right. And uh, I just thought it was so funny. Like, he's, like, smacking his hand against computer panels. Like, they're not even supposed to be building ships. And I love the idea that Cisco is, like, just so dedicated to the rules of the game in some ways. Like, not in others, but in some ways, his <laughs> dedicated to the rules of the game to the extent that he is outraged that the Obsidian Order has built a fleet. I wonder if his outrage is strategic in such a way that it, it helps. Like, to whatever degree there is a rift between 
uh, Carinas and Ducat, like that only benefits Cisco, right? Yeah. Like, I wonder if that's a way for him to amplify that. He's kind of fanning the flames of the of the yeah. differences between them. Yeah, that's some headcanon. Yeah. I like that scene a lot, though. It's very fun. I like it when Avery Brooks acts big, yeah. you know? He's good. Nobody's better at acting big than him. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at maximumfun.org. Uh, I'm going to act like I want to believe that the next episode's going to be as good as this, Ben, even though it couldn't possibly because there is no Jonathan Frakes in it. You want to figure out what ep we're watching and how we will watch it? The next episode is season three, episode 10, Fascination, uh, described by one prominent internet streaming service in the following way. The Bajoran Gratitude Festival, an annual celebration, is about to get underway, and both Kira and O'Brien await the arrival of their loves. Hmm. Another streaming platform describes it as a Bajoran celebration on the station serves as, a, as the backdrop for an epidemic of inexplicable romantic attractions among the crew. Well, this is going to be one of those uh, Naked Now apps, isn't it? That's kind of what I'm anticipating, Adam. Why uh, is that a thing? I don't know, man. Someone someone saw the naked episodes and were like, these are so good, we got to make them a regular thing. <laughs> that person was wrong. Dead wrong. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Well, Ben, we're on square 15, uh, which, as you've heard, is a plain Jane yet great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Just ahead couple squares ahead is a Quark's bar, and then uh, several squares ahead of that is a Naked Now oh. square. Uh, I think that's the only thing in range. A uh, couple squares beyond that is a wormhole that then takes us back down to uh, the Traveler square, which is a right. square that moves the run about five spaces forward. So, uh, I think you have the roll since it's a U-app. Okay. I have rolled a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. And that means we have gone one, two, three, four. We have jumped the Quark's bar. We are into square 19, uh, just two squares away from that space butthole. And another great, great regular episode for you and me. All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Meantime, folks can go online, use the hashtag GreatestGen to talk about the episode. On Twitter, Adam is at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin R. There's also a, a multitude of Facebook groups to join. There's also a Reddit sub. Uh, there's a, a, a Wikia, all about our dumb show, where uh, all of the jokes are gone into in detail. You can even find the rules of Greatest Gen there. Yeah, I was recently delighted to learn that, uh, that our, our proscriptions regarding leaning back chairs and uh, and leaving parties without saying goodbye have uh, been have been put down indelibly on the internet. Most of the internet put-downs take the form of something else. Yeah, we got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who makes the theme music for our show based on the uh, amazing work of Dark Materia, who made the original theme music for our show. Got to thank our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes... Uh, trading card set for each episode of the show always makes me laugh every single week i get an out loud laugh from what bill tilly does with those trading cards so definitely go find those online and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek deep space nine and another episode of the greatest generation deep space nine which uh 
makes out with people that you wouldn't necessarily choose for them. <laughs> Speaking of dumps, did you see that drink that Ducat was drinking? It's During the, the McLaughlin group? Yeah, it's one of these like big, tall, twisty bottles, and he's pouring himself some of it, but it seeps down the sides of the glass like it's just maple syrup. Oh, I mean, it's is like, that... Uh... I think he might be drinking Coke thick. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.